it is a it's a very strange sort of loving God who would have created this circumstance. By mere accident of birth, you are raised to believe that a certain book was, was uh, and, and let's say rightly raised to believe that this book was you know, the perfect book. But if you happen to be born in China, you, know, you go for centuries without hearing about this. It's a, it's a, a strange, for, for I think obvious reasons, a totally provincial and, and uh, implausible scenario. And yet, it's the scenario that most people believe. The thing that's really disturbing about Noah isn't the silly. It's that it's immoral. It's about a psychotic mass murderer who gets away with it, and his name is God. What kind of tyrant punishes everyone just to get back at the few he's mad at? If I met God in the unlikely event after I died, I think the first thing I'd say is, well, which one are you? Are you Zeus? Are you Thor? Are you Baal? Are you Mithras? Are you Yahweh? Uh, which God are you? Um, and uh, why did you take such great pains to conceal yourself and to hide away from us? All right, well, good morning and welcome to the well here at SCSA. It is so great. Brad told you a minute ago about every guitar player's fifth greatest fear. I was going to ask what the, the, the number one through four was. Let me tell you every preacher's greatest excitement when I have to say the following statement, that we have so many people here today, and we got people standing in the back. So do me a favor. If you got like one empty seat between you, try to squeeze in as much as you can. If you're like got a couple seats there, go this direction. There's a bunch of seats over here. Okay, those people who are standing in the back, people still coming in. This is every priest's greatest dream, okay? And I'd, at the beginning, when we started the church, we were small. I used to take away chairs. Just we'd have this be like, oh, we have so many people here today that we have to add more chairs. But do me a favor and do that. That way the ushers can help people find seats without distracting anyone. I'd appreciate it very much. Thank you very much for joining us here today for Friends and Family Day. Welcome to the well. As Katie and Joe said, we always like to say about ourselves, we are an ordinary place where hopefully extraordinary things happen. And extraordinary things happen when ordinary people meet our Lord Jesus Christ. Like Katie said, 2,000 years ago, a lady went to a well, and a well back then was just like a modern-day coffee shop. It was the water cooler, and she didn't think anything special was going to happen that day, but she met someone that changed her life forever. Not just her life, but her eternity. And we hope and pray that that's what the church is here today. We are starting a new series today called Clear the Air. And before I get into today's topic, a lot of people always ask me, they say, how do you come up with the topics for the for this series here? How do you come up with the ideas that you're going to preach about? Like, how do you know? Do you just make it up every week? Or do you have like some master calendar plan? Like, how do you figure this stuff out? So I figured I'd let you in on a little bit of the back end, you know, just so you see that it's not as, as mystical as you may think. Basically, every year in, in the time of August, we go, we do like a vision retreat for like our church staff. Okay, and the church board and things like that. And we take some time to kind of pray about the themes for the year and kind of what topics. And based on that, I usually take the month of August as like planning for the year. And I come up with a calendar of topics to speak about so that it's balanced. So I'm not just, you know, I'm in the mood for this or in the mood for that. And that calendar goes September through June. I kind of plan throughout the school year. Then the summertime, that's kind of my own whatever it is that I feel like. Whatever I feel God is putting on my heart and I feel strongly about. Last year, for those who were here... We did an entire series about our church's mission statement because we just came out with a new logo and we were talking about bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. So that was a series last summer. The year before that, I felt like there was a real problem with people's like self-esteem. We were insecure. So we did a series about identity crisis, about who we are in Christ. So this, we, this year, the topic I'm going to speak about 
is very near and dear to my heart. Very near and dear to my heart. And it's something that I have seen all too common that needs to be addressed. But here's the way the sermons work around here. They only give me 40 minutes every week. I prepared a very beautiful message about this topic, and it's approximately three hours long. But this you got to do it in 40 minutes. So what we do around here is we take a three-hour sermon, we kind of chop it into, into weeks. All right, so every week you get like a little bit of installment. So I look at this not as like a one-time thing, and I hope you do as well. This is a conversation that I'm starting here today. And I'd like you to engage me in this conversation. And I'd like to ask you some questions, and I'd like you to fire back at me and fire back with some of your own questions. But I'd like you to join me for this conversation, because today is just kind of the introduction to the conversation. And I hope you stick around even beyond that. The foundation of what I'm going to speak about here today and in this series I laid the foundation last week when I was preaching about why God sent His Son into this world and how God views us who inhabit this earth. Okay, and for those here last week, sorry, for those here last week, this was kind of our theme from last week. This is our message. That God sent His Son into the world to teach us that people are more important than rules. Rules are good. Rules are important. People are more good, better, and rules are, and people are more important. Rules good, people higher. And that's why the people, as so we talked about last week, the people who love the rules so much, and rules, 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 and these are the rules, and these are the rules, they didn't like Jesus so much. Because Jesus came preaching and said, you know what, that the rules were from me, and I'm telling you, the rules were made for, from me for you. You were not made for the rules, the rules are made for you, and they didn't like that. And the opposite was also true. The people who hated the rules and didn't understand the rules and thought the rules just condemned them, they loved Jesus. Because he, like I said, put them, the people, above the rules. Jesus showed us that the reason that he came to this earth was not to teach us rules. Not to tell us this is good and this is bad. This is clean, this is unclean. This is acceptable, this is unacceptable. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came for people. And Jesus always viewed people, we talked about this last week, Jesus' people categories are worth noting because this is how we, the body of Christ, the church, are supposed to have the same people categories. When I say people categories, we all categorize people into certain categories. Like I said, these are smart people, these are dumb people. These are rich people, these are poor people. These are good people, these are bad people. These are my people, these are not my people. Well, Jesus didn't have my people and not my people. He didn't have good and bad. He didn't have acceptable and acceptable. Jesus had the following, Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Those are Jesus' people categories. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus didn't have good, bad people. Jesus didn't have clean and unclean. Jesus had simply lost and found. People who found me and people who have yet to find me. And the people who have yet to find me the only reason I came to this earth, I came to seek and save that which was lost. I came to leave the 99 who know me, even though I love the 99 who know me. I'm willing to leave them for the sake of the one who doesn't know me. Because my existence on this earth is to find the one who doesn't know me, or, listen carefully to this one, the one who thinks he knows me, but doesn't really know me. Because when Jesus came to this earth, there were many people classified as sinners, unrighteous, tax collectors, who thought they knew God. And the God that they thought they knew hated them. The God that they thought they knew was disgusted with them. And Jesus came and said, no, y'all don't know God. 
I'm coming here to tell you who God really is and to clear the air. And that's where we're going here in this series is we need to clear the air too because there's a lot of misconceptions out there about God. And I hear a lot of stuff about God and people tell me things about the God they left. And they say, how could you believe in a God that? Why would I listen to a God who? And they start to tell me the God that they're leaving. And I say, you know what? I don't believe in that God either. The God that you're describing, I would leave him too. You should leave him because he's not a real God. But let me tell you about the real God. And that's what we're here to do in this series. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So stop listening to those people who tell you that God hates you. I'm telling you, I love you. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because me and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus came to say the following. He said, you think you know God, but you don't know God. You think you know God. Somebody told you that this is what God is like, but I'm telling you who God really is like. And if you want to leave God based on the truth, be my guest. But don't leave God based on a lie. Don't leave God based on a mis misrepresentation of God. Listen to me tell you the truth. This is what Jesus is saying. Let me tell you the truth. And then you do whatever you want. You decide to follow or not follow. But at least know the truth before you decide whether to follow or not follow. That's where this series is coming from. Too many people walk away from the wrong God, in my opinion. Too many people leave God. And you know what? As I was preparing this, I was going to bring statistics. You can find any statistic you want these days on the internet. But I said, you know what? Even if statistics of people who left the church, statistics of people who grew up Christian and walked away, statistics of people who claim to be atheists, statistics of people who don't believe that there's a God, whatever, those statistics don't mean anything to me. And the reason why they don't mean anything, because if it's 5% or 4% or 3% or 10%, it doesn't mean anything. Because as long as it's one person, and it's not the statistics that tell the story. The stories are the stories that I hear, are the stories that I see. The people who grew up in the Christian home, who grew up in the place where they believed in God and they loved God and they went to church and then they walked away and then you ask them why you walked away and they tell you a reason. You say, you know what? I'd have walked away too. But that's not, why are you walking away from something that doesn't exist? You're walking away from a God who doesn't exist. You're walking away from a church that isn't really the church. You say, how can I go to a church? And I'd say, you know what? I wouldn't go to that church either. But why do you judge the whole church based on the abuse thereof? What I discovered said another way is this. The reason why so many people, and I don't want to limit this discussion to atheism, okay, but I'm just going to use that term right now, but I want to say really people who stepped away from God, who may not even claim to be atheists. But you know what? I know a lot of people, many people who claim to be atheists. You know why people left the church to be atheists? It's not. I've never met one person. I never met one person. I met a lot of people. I never met one person who walked away from church, who walked away from God, who walked towards atheism, because atheism was attractive. But it was because Christianity was unattractive. No one said, you know what? I want to deny all logic. And I want to deny all of what science teaches me and believe that this stuff was put together by itself. Because science teaches the opposite. Logic teaches the opposite. Everything in this world has a starting point. And I want to walk away from that. I want to walk away from logic. I want to walk away from science. I want to walk away from everything that I find make sense up here, and I want to walk towards illogic, no one says that. It's not because atheism is attractive, it's because Christianity has become unattractive. It's another way, and I hate to say this, but we've made God unattractive. And I'm saying we, because I'm taking ownership of it. I'm saying oftentimes, it's we, 
People dressed like me. People who have my job. So I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying like you. I'm, I'm saying like, yes, the church, we have to own up to this. And there are people who tell me horrible stories about stuff the priests did to them, the churches did to them, that people taught them in the name of God. And I say, you know what? I would have walked away from church if I was you too. But what we need to discuss in this series is we need to clear the air. And we need to discover the truth. And if you decide, upon hearing the truth, to walk away, I'll shake your hand and say, more power to you. I respect that decision. But don't walk away based on a misrepresentation on something that was never meant to be. We're going to do a little history of religion in this country, in the United States of America, recent history. Nowadays, there is a new phenomenon that across the, the scope of history didn't really exist, but it exists in modern-day America, and it's actually the cool thing to do in America these days. And the cool thing to do in America, and I'm sure you've seen it online or on whatever it may be, it's even cool in churches to say, I'm spiritual, not religious. You heard this before, right? I'm spiritual, not religious. I'm spiritual and I'm a good person, but religion, religion is the cause of all the problems in the world. Religion is the reason why there is terrorism. If we just got rid of religion, if everyone was just be good and be nice, then the world would be a much better place. And you may not say those words, but as I'm saying them, a little piece of you is kind of like, yeah, you know what? I kind of sort of agree. It would be kind of nice if there was no religion. If everyone was just good and loving and spiritual, whatever that means. You know where this came from? Let's go back to September 11, 2001, a date where everyone will remember exactly where they were at the time when they heard, unless some of you are younger than that. Somebody could be. <laughs> everyone remember exactly where they were when they heard the news and they saw the images on the TV. We had never seen anything like that in our lives. Back then, for those of you who are young, planes used to get hijacked all the time. But planes were never hijacked and used as missiles to launch into buildings. That's why the goal was just leave the plane alone and eventually, okay, to give them what they want. It was always, it was never, never. We had many hostage, we had never seen anything like that in the world. After that happened, for those who were around, for those who are old enough to remember, the spike in church attendance after that weekend, after that, that, that September 11th, was through the roof. And churches were filled all over America. Not just churches, but synagogues as well, okay? Churches filled, and people everywhere, people who hadn't been in church for years, went back to church on that Sunday. And it was the biggest Sunday in the history of the church in, in America, for sure. And then the second Sunday was like a little bit less. And then the third Sunday was like a little bit less. Probably by week four or five, things had settled down to back to where they were before that. But something else happened during that time. A certain group of people, or certain individuals, began speaking about the negative effects of religion. Not just Islam, but all religion. And there's a man named Sam Harris. Anyone ever heard of Sam Harris? Some of you ever heard of him? Okay, so a few. You go on YouTube and you can find Sam Harris, all kinds of debates and all kinds of lectures that he's given and books that he's written. A man named Sam Harris wrote a book called The End of Faith. Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. And Sam Harris, very eloquently and very passionately drew a harsh portrayal of religion and the consequences and effects of religion. And he said, he was the first one probably to put it in writing, that religion is the cause of all the problems in the world. And he used the events of September 11th as his driving you know, argument, but not to say that Islam is bad, but to say all religion is bad. What do you think would happen if you wrote a book that was against 
not just Islam, but against all religion, including Christianity, after 9-11. Do you think that'd be a popular book? Publishers did not think it'd be a popular book. Like, everything was like, everyone was Christian at that time. And no one cared about offending nobody at that time. We're going to pray, and we want God back. And like, everyone was pro-Christian at that time. But he wrote this book, and this book was rejected by 12 different publishers. 12 publishers said, we will not publish an anti-Christian book. If you write about anti-Islam, we may publish it. But you are not going to write a book about anti-Christians. That's not going to sell. Finally, he found a 13th publisher who would publish it. And this book spent 33 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. 33 weeks. The Christians in America, uprising, uproar. How dare you? And they cursed him, and they sent all kinds of hate mail to him. So he responded with another book. It's a much shorter book. And it's called Letter to a Christian Nation. Okay? Very simple. Okay? I read this not too, not too long ago. It's a simple read. He's a very good writer. Very eloquent. He basically makes the case... That you Christians, now he's speaking specifically to Christians, you guys are the problem. And it's time for you guys to go away. Just like there was in ancient times, there were people who believed in Zeus, and it's good for them to go away. And just like there were people who believed in all the different Greek gods and Roman gods, it's time for you, with your little American Christian gods, to go away as well. Same year, a man named Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion. This book, more than 3 million copies sold and was translated to more than 35 languages. And in it, Richard Dawkins did not beat, her up, beat around the bush. In the introduction of the book, he wrote the following. If this book works as I intend, religious, leader, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. The book sold more than 3 million copies. These guys started a movement. These guys were rock stars. These guys were on late night TV. These guys were on Oprah. These guys were all over YouTube. These guys were like the, the, the people, the cool guys, the cool kids in school. And these guys became like rock stars overnight. And it wasn't that so many Americans said, I'm an atheist now. That's not what happened. It's not that so many Americans now, now identify and say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. But so many Americans just disconnected a little bit from God. Not said I'm ready to be an atheist because I don't really believe what atheism says and, and there's more to atheism than meets the eye and it really, like I said, you really have to put away logic to, to really be an atheist and to really understand it. So I don't know if I'm really willing to do that, but I'm just going to take a step away from here. And a new category was introduced the American vocabulary. You heard this word before? The nuns? You heard this word before? Okay, the nuns became a new category that people identify with, which is to basically say, what religion are you? Are you Orthodox? Are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you Baptist? Are you Lutheran? I'm none. And this category of nuns, meaning like non-affiliated, right now, currently in the United States of America, 25% of the U.S. population identifies as a nun. Millennials, 35% of millennials identify as a nun. And a nun would say simply the following. I'm not hostile towards, but I'm not affiliated with. I'm not hostile towards, but I'm not affiliated with. I'm not hostile towards God, but I just feel like, you know what? Like, I don't want to identify myself in any category. Like I said, I'm just spiritual. I'm just a nice person. I believe in love. I believe in a higher power. I believe in Mother Nature. I believe in the universe. So I'm not, like, hostile. Like, everyone can believe what they want to believe. I'm not hostile towards, but I'm not really affiliated with. And I bet, like I said, that you may not identify as an atheist today. But many people sitting in the chairs here today can say, you know what? Kind of makes sense. Like, like, we grew up in church. 
We heard the Bible stories, like the Noah's Ark thing. Okay, like it was cool when we were kids. Like we heard about like heaven and hell and judgment. Like, yeah, I agree. Should, you know, scare kids to like not getting pregnant and stuff like that. Like, I agree. You know what I mean? But like, come on, Father Anthony. Like, that was cool while we were kids. But I don't know if I buy all that stuff anymore. Like, I like Christianity because it teaches like good morals. But, you know, I'm not hostile towards. But I don't know if I'm necessarily affiliated with. Anyone who's ever walked away from God, like I said, it's not because atheism was attractive or life without Christianity was attractive, but unfortunately it's because Christianity was unattractive. And let me tell you two scenarios that I find very, very common. And there's hundreds of stories. Like, I, I hear lots of stories, but most of the stories go something like this. I grew up in church. I read my Bible. I went to Sunday school. I did all the church stuff. And then I, and I wanted two things. One route will be, then I went away to college. And I started asking questions. People started asking me questions. I started asking other people questions. Then my professor started to teach. And I went back to the religious leaders, my parents, my pastor, my priest, my Sunday school teacher. And I started asking adult questions that my childhood faith could not answer. My childhood faith was not capable of answering these adult questions. I was asking, watch this one, because I know some of you have said this. I'm asking fact questions, and I'm getting faith answers. I'm asking fact questions. And what I'm getting is, just need to believe. Just need to trust. Just need to close your eyes and feel it. That's one scenario. Other scenario, grew up in church, Bible, Sunday school, all that kind of stuff. And then you had, I don't know how to say this any better, a faith-crushing event happened to you. Death of a loved one. Illness to someone that you care about, or maybe even yourself. Some kind of faith and soul crushing event. That again, you struggled to reconcile the undeniable reality in front of you with the stories and the unreliable religion that we've been taught since we were kids. And you discovered that your childhood faith was not capable of answering your big boy or big girl questions. So you walked away. You didn't walk away and say, I'm an atheist and I'm... You didn't do that. But you just said, you know what? How can I truly trust a God who allows these bad things to happen? How can I truly go all in on a God who can't explain this? Why do I have to believe in God? Like, why can't I just know... Like, if He's really God, like that's what the guy in the video said. If He's really God, why do I have to believe? Like, do you have to believe like... I have to believe that my wife exists. No, my wife exists. Like, I know she exists. I know my kids exist. I don't have to believe in their existence. I just, I know they exist. They're right there. They talk back to me. Why can't we do the same thing with God? How can I be all in on a God who's like that? So what you said is, you know what? You walked away. And my question to you is simply this, for those of you who walked away. What if the God you walked away from never existed to begin with? Hypothetically. Look, you want to walk away from God, I, I, again, you walk away for the right reasons, you know who God truly is and say, I don't want anything to do with that God, I will shake your hand and I will say, good for you. I respect that. Even if I disagree with it, I respect it. But don't walk away from a God that doesn't even exist. Don't walk away from a God that someone drew a bad picture of God and you say you walk away from that God. What we're going to talk about here today, I'm going to go quickly through this because we're going to spend more time as we go on here. I'm going to talk about five false gods. Five gods who don't exist. 
Five gods you may have you've been taught exist. You may have been raised to believe exist. Someone misrepresented. These are not real gods. These are false gods that someone told you exist and has created this false expectation. Then, then this false expectation let you down. So you said, how can I trust in a god who? And you became disappointed in a god who doesn't even exist. We're talking about these five. And I'm going to tell you, if you walked away from God because you believe one of these was the real God, all right, good for you. But you would be making a terrible mistake if you walked away from the true God because you don't, like, you don't have anything to do with the fake God. Five false gods. And I'm going to go through these quickly because each one of these we're going to turn into a session later on. First God is bodyguard God. Do you know bodyguard God? A lot of us, if we're honest, we're raised and are raising our children to believe in bodyguard God. Bodyguard God says the following. It says that God exists to protect the good people from bad things. That's half of it. What's the other half? To punish the bad guys for their being bad. Bodyguard God is like kind of the Superman of God. Okay, he's kind of like justice for all. And if you're bad, you'll be punished. And if you're good, you'll be protected. So here, if you believe in bodyguard God, I don't believe any of this stuff, but I'm just saying what, what people would say. You know why Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans? You heard on the radio just like I did. It's because they were sinners. And they were wicked. And that's God's way of saying they need to repent. You know why AIDS came into this world? To punish the homosexual community. And that's what they get for living a sinful life. That's bodyguard God. You know why that girl isn't married? Because she's not as spiritual. She must not be as good. And you know who, you know who says that oftentimes? The people who are inside church. Bodyguard God says that, that God protects the good and God punishes the bad. Well, if that's what you believe, if you believe that the good kids always get A's and the bad kids get F's, if you believe that the good guys always get promoted and the bad guys always get fired, if that's what you believe, I just want to ask you a simple question. Who told you that? Like, who told you that? And I'm, I'm going to challenge you. Where did you come up with that? Like, did somebody tell you that? Because I don't think I told you that. I've never given a sermon that says, follow God, everything good go in your life. And I've never said a sermon that says, we know God exists because bad stuff never happens to good people. Because if that's what Christianity preached, that bad stuff never happened to good people, Christianity wouldn't have survived the first century. Because every person who preached Christianity had bad stuff happen to them, including the leader who is Jesus himself. Every one of them was killed, every one of them was persecuted, every one of them was tortured, including Jesus himself died the most horrific death ever on this earth. So who told you that? Because if you created a God, maybe you kind of, it's kind of logical, maybe you kind of inferred it. And there's some of those verses that say, you know what, that like, God takes care of his own. And somewhere says that, and it says that, you know, he'll protect you lest you dash your foot against a stone. Isn't there a verse that says that? Isn't there a verse that says, he will protect you lest your foot dash, dash your foot against a stone? You know whose favorite verse that is? Who quoted that verse in the New Testament? Satan himself. Because Satan knows what I know, and I've said this many times. You find me anything you want to do in life, I'll find your Bible verse to support you. You find me any belief that you want, and I will find you a Bible verse to support you. Because you can make the Bible say whatever it is you want. If you believed in bodyguard God, God who's just supposed to protect you, and you said, I'm walking away from that God, because I don't believe that God exists, then I applaud you. I say good for you, because I don't believe in that God either. I'm going to go quick through these, because actually the next series we're going to do after this series, later on this summer, we're going to have an entire session on each one of these. 
Okay, so we're gonna, I'm going to go quickly over them, and then, like I said, we're going to spend more time on them as the summer goes on. God number two, false god, on-demand god. This is the favorite of all the gods. And this one, even though we don't believe in him, man, we sure wish he was around. On-demand god, because we like an on-demand kind of life. On-demand god is the god who responds logically and fairly to all of our requests. We're not asking God to do great, huge, amazing things, but we're just asking Him to respond in a logical and fair way. I'm not asking God to, 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 to turn the world upside down. I'm just asking, give me a day. I'm not asking Him to raise the dead. I'm just saying to heal my neck or my back. Like, I'm not asking for big stuff. We want God, on-demand God, is to simply do for others what we would do for others. So if I had the power to give this to a someone and I didn't, you'd say that's a bad person. So we want God just to do simply what we would do for others. Problem is, this is your expectation. You ask for stuff and you don't get stuff. You ask for a sign, you don't get a sign. You ask for a miracle, you don't get a miracle. You ask for a healing, you don't get a miracle. You don't get a healing. You ask for a date, you get rejected. Then you're going to walk away from this God. But again, I ask you, who told you that? Like, who told you that God's job is to be your servant and to respond to your request in a timely manner? Who told you that? Did I give you that sermon? Like, was that something that I said? Who told you that? Maybe it was something, again, that, that a Sunday school teacher taught you. Your, I don't know who taught you that, but that ain't God. And you know what? You should be thankful there's no on-demand God. You know why? I'm thankful of no on-demand God for two reasons. You know why I'm thankful God doesn't answer on-demand? Two reasons. Number one, because I was 15 years old at some point in time, and I remember what I prayed at age 15. <laughs> and had God given me what I asked for at 15, it would have ruined my life. And number two reason I'm thankful there's no on-demand God, because I have not always been the nicest boy, and I'm sure at times I've offended people, and I'm sure people have prayed against me. <laughs> and I'm thankful God did not answer those prayers. God number three. Boyfriend God! Boyfriend God! We love boyfriend God. He makes us feel so warm and fuzzy. Boyfriend God. Boyfriend God is the God that we feel his presence at all time. We went on the retreat when we were in seventh grade and we prayed and we cried and we sang and we cried and we just feel God's presence so much and we should always feel God's presence. And then we got older and someone said, don't you feel God's presence? You're like, I don't feel nothing. And then you look at someone next to you in church and you're feeling something during the music. You're like, where, like, where, where, what are you, like, where is it? Because I don't feel anything. And you start to think to yourself, because I don't feel God's presence, then maybe God is not present. You believe in boyfriend God? Who told you that? Who told you that when you believe in God, you have a relationship with God that you will never go one second without feeling His presence. Like, who told you that? And just so you know, did you know that the things that are the most true and constant in your life are what you feel the least? Did you know that? What you exist the most constant in your life is what you feel the least? For example, nobody ever says, sitting in a room, say, you know what? The temperature in this room. I think it's really perfect. I feel like it's really perfect weather in this room. Like, you don't say that. You say, if you feel it's hot or you feel it's cold. Like, no one wakes up and says, you know what? Man, I'm thankful that my lungs are working. Yeah, there he goes. 
His lungs are, yeah. You don't feel your lungs working. You don't feel the oxygen. You don't feel your heart. But that doesn't make it not true. It just means you don't feel it. Mother Teresa, who everyone would say, Mother Teresa was someone who was living the life. You know Mother Teresa, after she died, they revealed like a lot of her letters and her father confession revealed a lot of stuff that, like, that he had experienced with her. And you know she spent the last years of her life feeling very distant from God. Very distant from God. Very alone. And there's books that are written about like some of the letters that she wrote about the darkness that she felt. And if boyfriend God was who she believed in, she'd have walked away from God. If you quit believing in this God, good for you. You're, you're on the right track. God number four is guilt God. Guilt God. You grew up in church. Guilt God is your favorite. And guilt God is the one that no matter how much you know he doesn't exist, this God will haunt you for the rest of your life. He will follow you around. He will sneak up on you and you'll say, I don't believe in you. And there he is staring you in the mirror every single time. Because guilt God tries to control us through fear, intimidation, and guilt. Guilt God says, if it's enjoyable, the answer is no. Guilt God says, if it's sexual, double no. Guilt God says, if you are unsure, probably no. This God, watch out, this God loves you but doesn't like you. This God loves you but doesn't like you. And that's why if you struggle with this God, the greatest day of your life is the day that, I, that you tell me and I tell you and we tell each other, this God, if this is God, I'm an atheist. I do not believe in this God. That would be the most freeing day of your life. And sometimes people say, I left God and I've been much happier since. I have less guilt. Then I say, good for you. You left the wrong God. Good for you. But don't walk away from the right God based on the wrong God because if this is the God that you were taught. Maybe someone, maybe like I said, your Sunday school teacher was trying to scare you into obedience. Maybe your parents were just trying to scare you or teach you, whatever it may be. If this is the God that you grew up with, Best day of your life is the day that you walk away because I walked away from this God too and you need to walk away because this God doesn't exist. Fourth God. I'm sorry, fifth God. Anti-science God. Anti-science God. You know anti-science God, right? This is one where we have to be honest as church, as Christians, we've done a little bit of a disservice. We've done a disservice here. Because we have told people that you have to choose between God or science. You have to choose between undeniable science and unreliable religion. That's science which says facts and religion which says belief. And you have to choose between the two. If this is you, this is the God that you were taught, you were told quit thinking and just start believing. You were taught Christianity is all about faith and faith and faith and faith. And I will tell you that while faith is absolutely essential to Christianity, Christianity is a lot more than faith. Christianity is based on a historical event, which is proven. Reliably proven event, which is the resurrection of Christ. We talked about this a few weeks back. It's not just faith. We don't just believe Christ rose from the dead. We know Christ rose from the dead. Christianity, absolutely, it has a faith component. I'm not saying it doesn't. But there's a lot more to it than just faith. The truth is this. Some people won't like what I'm about to say. When religion and science conflict with each other, if you're honest, if we are honest 
science has to win out. If we're honest, if religion and science conflict with each other, and sometimes there's a conflict, a, a conflict which doesn't really exist, sometimes it's a perceived conflict which isn't true. If we're honest, science has to win. And if you were taught otherwise, if you were taught you have to deny facts to believe in God, then I would tell you, no wonder you walked away. Richard Dawkins, the guy who wrote the book, The God Delusion, one of the things he said in that book, he said, and this is bad for us, like this, this judges us. One of the bad effects of religion is that it teaches as a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. One of the bad effects of, of religion is that it teaches as a virtue not understanding, to be satisfied with not understanding. If that's you, you grew up with an anti-science God that you have to either believe in God or science, you can't have both, i got good news for you. That's a false alternative. You do not need to choose God or science. In fact, God and science are working hand in hand. Actually, we're going to talk about this one a little bit more in a couple weeks, so I won't talk too much. But I will just show you this. Those who believe that to be godly, you must reject all science. Let me show you how that's hypocritical. Anyone who says it, that science is bad and science is from the devil and science whatever and God and faith and believe and blind. Let me tell you how hypocritical, how hypocritical that is of us. Let's say you have a sick child. You have a child who's sick. Who do you call? Do you call the priest? Do you go to church? Say, my child is sick, I need to go to church. Who do you call? Where do you go? You go to the doctor. And you ask the doctor to heal your child based on faith? Based on his belief? On his morality? Or based on science? You ask him to take blood. Let's say you went to the doctor. And he said, you said, sick child. He said, okay, we're going to read a passage in the Bible. You say, no, 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 sir. Say, we're going to pray together. No, 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 sir. I want you to take the needle. I want you to pull the blood. I want you to put it under a lab. Okay, you can do whatever prayer that you want. I don't care. Because we don't care. If it's a good doctor, we don't care what his religion is. We don't care what his religion is. We want science. And I want good science. And if they did all kinds of blood work, they did all kinds of analysis, and they called you on the phone and said, the results are as follows. That we believe God wants to teach you a lesson through this. <laughs> you would say, no, thank you. You would say, give me my science. Because when it comes to illness, we're all about science. In the moment, listen carefully to this one, because some of you are going to disagree, and I'm going to expand on this in a couple weeks. So just, like I said, this is the opening, this is the opening argument, okay, of the conversation. So this is not all. The moment that your theology conflicts with science, you don't have a science problem. You have a theology problem. If your theology and science are contrary to one another, this is not a problem with science. This is a problem with your theology. Because Christians have always believed, from the beginning, that God is the true scientist. And that God, who is the creator of all things, gave us science to not explain how it came, or not, I'm sorry, not explain who created it, but explain how he created it. And that's the one thing that even science itself will say. We'll say, we can explain how all this stuff got here, but we can't explain how it started. So you see that science and God are working in cohesion. God created it and said, I'm going to give you a tool called a brain. And I'm going to give you science. I'm going to give you technology so you can see the beauty of my creation. Understand how this stuff works. But never use the tool to replace the creator. You don't take the manual and say, okay, now I believe that there was no creator of the car because I have the manual. We'll talk more about that later. Don't worry about that right now. These are your five false gods. 
If this is your God, and this is the God you left, I applaud you. Bravo, best decision you ever made. Because I would walk away from these, guard, these gods too. These gods, I know this is not the best analogy, okay, but stick with me on this one, you'll see where I'm going with it. These gods are kind of like the tooth fairy. They're kind of like the Easter bunny. Kind of like everyone's favorite, I'm taking my life in my own hands here. Kind of like Santa Claus. We were taught them when we were young. And we were led to believe that they are true. And a lot of good came from that. I'm not saying, listen carefully, I'm not saying everything we were taught was wrong and we should teach kids theology from the, 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 the second they're born. But what I'm saying is, there comes a point in time where our faith needs to grow up. And who said this so perfectly summarized? There's a lady named Karen Armstrong. Anyone heard of Karen Ar Armstrong? No one ever heard? Okay, so she is a double nun. She's a double nun. Because she's a nun, like I said earlier, non-affiliated, who used to be a nun, like N-U-N nun. Like a Catholic nun. So she's like a Catholic nun, who then said, I want to be an other nun. So she left being a Catholic nun, disillusioned with God, and she became a nun. And she writes all kinds of spiritual books about how it's spiritual without religion. Like, like the whole thing, that you know how this stuff goes. And she wrote the following in this book, The Case for God. This is so beautiful the way she wrote this. Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at about the same time as we were told about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied he existed. <clears throat> Let me rephrase that and say it, ask it in a question form. Did your childhood view of God grow up? Or did you simply outgrow it? The God that we inherited, the God that we were taught, did that evolve? Did that mature? Or did we simply outgrow it? What's the difference? Let me ask you a different question. Totally different question. To understand this. Totally different question. Let me ask you a question. Everyone look at me. Where do babies come from? Where do babies come from? I don't need a picture. I don't need a diagram. I need an answer. Someone asks you a question. Where do babies come from? How would you answer? What I hope you would say is it depends on who's asking. If a five-year-old asks you, where do babies come from? What do you say? Mommy's stomach. And that's true. Like, that's not a lie. That's a true statement. A five-year-old, mommy's stomach. A 15-year-old, do not say mommy's stomach. 15-year-old would tell them, don't you go near her. They may just start coming. Okay, like... A med student, would you answer him by saying mommy's tummy? <laughs> by the time you reach medical school, your answer has to have evolved. Now listen very carefully, this is so important. If you say to a five-year-old mommy's tummy, are you lying? No, you are just adjusting the answer based on their capability to understand. You adjust the answer based on the listener's capacity to understand. 
But as they grow older, the explanation needs to mature and evolve and grow. A lot of us are faith. Why you believe in God? A lot of us give mommy's tummy answers. And that's why we walk away from God. Because we don't know anything other than mommy's tummy. And our spirituality is mommy's tummy. And it comes a point in time when you're in college or you're in graduate school and someone says, yeah, mommy's tummy? That's what you believe? And mommy's tummy doesn't get the job done. St. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. My hope in this series is that many of us would rethink, rethink our relationship with God. Maybe you walked away because you were walking around with a mommy's tummy kind of spirituality and theology, and that's just not cutting for you. And I would say, you know what? I agree with you. But before you walk away, let's engage in a discussion. And let's see if the God that we're so sure doesn't exist, let's see if that's the right God. Because maybe, just maybe, you're walking away from a God. You're choosing to be distant from a God who never existed to begin with. The good news God sent his son into this world to clear the air. Jesus came to this world to show us who God really is and to say, y'all think you understand God? Let me clear the air. And you want to walk away from that God? Like I said, I'll shake your hand, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. But first know who God is. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. This is my prayer for this series for all of us, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but that we may grow up. That we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. In this series, starting next week, we're going to hit the ground running next week, we're going to talk about some subjects that some of you are going to say, you know what? I don't know if I buy this stuff. We're going to talk about some subjects. We're going to talk about our view towards the Bible and some of those hard-to-understand stories in the Bible and how we should view it. We're going to talk about the whole idea about bad stuff happening to good people. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about lots of different stuff that some of you who want to keep your head in the sand and say, like, just leave me in my simple faith alone. Like, I understand that. more. You want to stick with mommy's tummy, and that's great. But there comes a point in time where if you are not prepared, a wind may come, it may blow, you may get shaken. So we need our faith to mature a little bit and to grow up. And for those who, like I said, walked away from a God that they are pretty sure existed, I want you to open your mind and say, you know what, maybe that God doesn't exist. And maybe, just maybe, we'll discover the truth about who God really is. I am excited for this series. I don't know if you are as much as I am, but I am pumped up for this series, and I hope everyone comes back next week so we can continue this discussion together. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you sent your only begotten Son into this world to show us who you are and to show us the path to you. I pray, Lord, that throughout our time in this series, you would open our eyes to see the truth, to know who you really are, not who we were taught who you are, not who we were led to believe and misrepresented, but who you really are, and you give us to be open-minded, open-hearted, to see the truth about you, 
Because, Lord, if we want to walk away from a lie, we don't ever want to walk away from the truth about who you are. We ask these things in the name of your Son, the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.